Amen. Thank you to uh, Len and thank you to the praise team for leading us uh, today. Thank you so much. Good evening, everyone. It's good to see you here. Thanks for coming out this evening. Uh, this evening, we are sort of re-establishing, I suppose, uh, our communion service, which is on the last Sunday of every month. And so if you forgot to pick up one of these, if you love Christ and you're going to be eating and drinking with those, don't worry too much about that. You can grab one during the hymn before we eat and drink later on. But tonight we're going to turn to Luke 22, and it's the passage uh, that speaks right into uh, the establishment of the Passover feast, the Lord's Supper. And uh, we have this here in these verses from verse 7 through to verse 30. We're going to take our time to read that. And then we're going to just look at it briefly, and then what we'll do is we'll sing together, and then we'll have a a time of prayer together, and then we will eat and drink. So that's the the plan going forward. But let's read first, Luke 22 and verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that... From now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes, uh, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed! And they began to question one another, which of them it could be, who was going to do this. A dispute also arose among them, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Let's pray. 
Father, again, as we come to think of a, what may be a familiar passage to us, may it come with freshness as we think again about the ordinance of communion, what it is and what it means and why this meal is the greatest of meals, the meal above all meals. And so, Lord, help us tonight as we think this through. Lord, help us as we come later to take these emblems, which remind us wonderfully just about who and what Christ has done. And so, Lord, bless us as we do this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Leave your Bible open in Luke 22. I keep saying Matthew, Sarah. Remind me at home, why do you keep saying Matthew today? I don't know why I keep saying Matthew, so if you're wondering why I keep saying it, I have no idea, um, but I keep saying Matthew. So if, you, if I say Matthew today, uh, just bear with me, but open your Bible to Luke 22, and just keep it open, because we're going to walk through not every verse that we've read this evening, but we want to pull some of this out so we can be reminded tonight about the Lord's table and the Lord's supper. But let me begin with a question. What does the Lord's supper mean to us here? in the Connie Baptist Church. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? Has it become humdrum for us? Something we do maybe mindlessly, something we've simply done for years. Maybe it's something that we do so routinely that when it's passed, well, it's not anymore, when it's taken, we forget and are not reminded of just the importance of what we're doing. Well, Luke tells us much here, doesn't he? He shares with us in such detail about that at that moment where Jesus was with his disciples in that upper room, and I love that scene that we see here. But he tells us that it is so much more than just humdrum or something to be just not thought about. It's, it's something serious. And his account here in Luke 22, here the Lord's Supper, it provides actually five, what I would say are magnificent reasons why this meal is the greatest meal. That is the title of the sermon. Why this is the meal above all other meals. And so tonight, just briefly, before we come to a time of praising and a time of prayer, I want to just lay these before us. And they come right out of the passage, right out of Luke. And the first thing this evening, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is this, is that this supper that we're going to partake of is rooted in redemption. It's rooted in redemption. Are you in need of forgiveness, of maybe deliverance, or of grace tonight? Well, this meal is... For you, its roots actually extend deep into the history of God's people and the riches of God's character. Luke's account, as we read it here, is clear that Jesus actually celebrates a Passover meal. Just look at how many times Jesus refers to it as the Passover in this passage. Look at Luke 22 and verse 8. And so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. Look at verse 11. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Verse 13. 
And they went and found it just as Jesus told them and they prepared the Passover. Verse 15. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. This calls us to look, doesn't it, when we think about the Passover for a minute. It should help us and make us think back to God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt. You know that story. I hope you do. That account where God and his might helped Israel to escape their slavery and eventually make their way to the promised land. That time where God sent all those plagues and the blood was painted over the doorposts. You know the story. Well, we're reminded that God, well, he is eager to save his people. If there was a story that we could to match with this and even the Easter story and the death of Jesus, it would be that. It's, he is eager to save his people. That is who he is. He was eager to save them from their state of slavery. And he's eager to save us today from our sinful state. And even as Jesus observes the Passover meal, he elevates it, doesn't he? Claiming that it's ultimately about his own imminent death. He was a little bit like this morning preparing the disciples for what was to come. Preparing the disciples for his death. Well, this Passover that we see again back in Egypt, really that was a foreshadow, wasn't it? A foreshadow. I'm not sure if many understood it then, but today we can see it as that. A foreshadow of Christ's redeeming work on the cross. You see, Jesus himself is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That's what, the, that's what the, the word says. That's what God's word says. He is the son whom God does not spare. Unlike the firstborns uh, of Israel in the Passover. But he does not spare his son so that we may be spared. These are not new truths to you, but they should resonate with everyone. He did not spare his only son, his perfect son. So that we could be spared. And so we receive this meal because we have been delivered from death and from hell. That is what we deserved. That's what everyone here deserved. And yet everyone who has been called by God and has put their trust and faith in God is now spared from that death and hell and is a son or a daughter of God. And yet even then we are still in desperate need of a daily grace from God, aren't we? We really are. We're still in desperate need of a daily grace. And so that's the first reason to celebrate, that this supper is firmly rooted in redemption. That big word that speaks of Christ himself coming and redeeming, buying his people, as we talked about this morning. The second thing, as we move through this passage, is that Jesus planned it. I love this. Very practical and very obvious in this passage. Well, let me ask this question before we look at it. Do you relish being at a table of a host who rejoices at your presence? I'm sure you've been in a house like that. Someone who's welcomed you, maybe not so much over the last 20 months or so with COVID, but someone's house where you've been there and they relish, they love to host you. They love that. And they rejoice at your presence, at you being there. Well, if you do, 
relish that, then this meal is for you. See, the host of this meal, Jesus, he provides an elaborate instruction for Peter and John about how and where and how to prepare the Passover. Look at verse 8 to 13. Let's read them again. Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to Jesus, where will we prepare it? He said, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room, a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Jesus prepared it. It's clear, isn't it, that Jesus was the person behind this idea, behind this institution that was the Lord's Supper that we still celebrate 2,000 years ago. It occurs at his initiative. He ordained it under his leadership and according to his plan. When I proposed to Sarah in March 2013, I left nothing to chance. I don't know what your story is like, those of you who are engaged or married. But I meticulously prepared a plan so that everything would go to plan, or that was the idea. And it did. I had to get from England to Northern Ireland. That was my plan, otherwise Sarah would guess. Uh, I had to come here without her realizing and be here at a certain time, at a certain place. And I had prepared Sarah's mum to bring her there for that time. Uh, that is until she needed the toilet and was about an hour late and I was freezing on the beach, but that's a different story. That was unforeseen. I should have done a better planning for that. But in years since, we've laughed at my preparation and organization about that. We've laughed about how on earth I managed to get from Portsmouth at six o'clock in the morning to Port Stewart Beach for two o'clock in the afternoon without her knowing and without telling any lies before you think I did. But we have laughed. We have spoken and we have shared that story with many people. And if you haven't heard it, you can ask us to share it with you when we, when we see you sometime. But it communicated, I think, I hope, my strong desire to marry Sarah. And Jesus here, he had a meticulous plan, didn't he? He had everything worked out. We don't have time to get into the uh, amazing way, how he knew that that man would be there and so on and those amazing things. But what we want to see tonight is that he made meticulous plans for this meal. And then he says to the disciples in verse 15, I have earnestly desired, I love that, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He longs for us to join him in this meal. It's good to ask ourselves, do we long to share this meal with him? Do we anticipate the Lord's Supper or is it just an afterthought? Is it something that is serious in our own life and our church? Do we understand it? Do we get it? Do we hold it in high esteem? Well, here's Jesus, and he 
He earnestly desires that we join him. Those who love and trust in Christ, who have a, a genuine relationship, who are born again, as we say. Those who have understood and experienced God's salvation in Christ Jesus. And here is Jesus and his earnest desire inviting us to desire that meal more. Preparing ourselves beforehand. I wonder how many times we do that. Some of us here, I realize some of you maybe didn't know we were doing communion this evening. I appreciate that. Many of us did. What do we do in preparing ourselves beforehand? And we're going to do that in a minute in many ways in the small time we have tonight. But we should, as we come to this table, be very careful. As we come to take this, these emblems, be very careful to confess our sin. To come in that worthy manner. To not come in an unworthy manner. And therefore call upon judgment on ourselves. That is not the way we should do it. Maybe it's about reconciling with someone in your life. Maybe it's about uh, being joyfully expectant in your prayer life before you come to this table. I don't know what it is for you, but we should approach it very carefully and with great sincerity as well. The third thing here I think we see from Luke 22 is that actually this, in, this passage here in Jesus anticipates the future. This is what I love about uh, coming to the Lord's Supper is that it's not just about the here and now. It's not just about looking back at what Christ has done, but it's about looking forward. So let me ask you this question. Do you want a foretaste of the new creation? We've talked a little bit about that over the last few weeks, about the new creation, about heaven and glory. Do you want a foretaste of the new creation? Well, if your answer is yes, this meal is for you. The reason Jesus is eager to share the meal with his disciples is that he won't eat it again until, in verse 16, it says here, it says here until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Future. See, the kingdom of God here refers to that new creation that we talked about. That new place God is going to and is creating, preparing for all his people to dwell and praise him forever. And so therefore, there's an implication, isn't there, of Jesus' words, is that the Lord's Supper anticipates and begins the glorious future feast of the Messiah. We actually look at the feast, and we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament as well. That feast where everyone who loves Christ will be together, and we will eat and drink together, and we will praise the Lord forever. It will be amazing. And yet here we have the beginnings of it, if you like, a taste of what is to come. Something that anticipates a future meal. And so the fragment of bread or cracker, the taste of the cup we receive at the Lord's Supper is the first course, if you like, of a splendid eternal feast. And it will be fulfilled. Jesus says it will be fulfilled. It will be. There's no two ways about it. But it starts now. It starts now. Just what you're thinking about that. Think of a river for a moment. Everyone's been to a river, I'm sure. You know what that, that is. Maybe some of you have been to a source as well. We used to have a source of a river just up a few miles from where we lived in England. And they used to do school trips, walking, trunching, roll through the mud in your wellies. It was great fun in, in primary school. Just to get to the source of the river. Uh, good times when we were in school. 
Well, the river starts at the source and it finishes at the mouth. Here's a geography lesson for you. However, let me ask you a question here. Is the river the real thing at the source? Or when it reaches the faster, wider, more powerful end of the mouth? Well, actually, it's the real thing whether it's at the source or whether it's at the mouth. It's still the river. The source is just the glimmer of what's to come. See, we hold in our hands a foretaste of the future, don't we? The Apostle Paul was looking forward when he said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. The present meal, well, it should anyway, heighten our desire for the full and final feast, which we look forward to. Number four, it speaks of substitution, the Lord's Supper. Of course it does. Do you desire to have a deeper understanding of Jesus' death? I think we all should say yes to that. Well, if that is the case, this meal is for you. Jesus says it refers mainly to himself and his redemptive work. Do you see that? Luke 22 and 19, it says, Do this in remembrance of me. And we're to remember not just the external events, although we want to do that even tonight. That is his, his death, the, the soldiers, the, the, scourge, the scourging, the thorns, the nails. But their redemptive significance is here as well. This is my body, which was given for you. And we want to remember those external external events, but that we also want to remember that Jesus dies as our substitute. You don't want to know what a substitute is. Someone who steps in and takes your place. That's what that is. We remember that by shedding his blood for us, he inaugurates a new covenant. Look at verse 20. That's what it see, we see there. A new covenant in his blood. And so God's judgment here is Fully poured out upon Jesus. Our sin is fully forgiven. As we, and as we share this meal with Jesus, we remember his unique once for all, fully sufficient substitutionary death. He took our place. That should have been our death to die because of our sin. But because God so loved us, he gave us his only son. That anyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Substitutionary death, a core doctrine, a core belief. Well, fifthly and finally, and there are many other things we could talk about this evening, but I want to finish here. That's this. It forms a family. It forms a family. Do you long for life in true community? Or this meal, if the answer to your question, to answer that question is yes for you. This meal is for you. See, immediately after eating, Jesus' disciples have a dispute. Just look at verse 24. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. They've clearly missed the meal's meaning, haven't they? They've clearly missed the transformational power of the meal. And we may miss it too. 
perhaps though in subtler ways in our life. See, as we leave our times of communion each week, I wonder, do we get annoyed that someone is talking in the car park momentarily, blocking our way, can't get out, looking to go somewhere? Maybe it's later in the week, having been so powerfully reminded of God's forgiveness on Sunday, but yet we refuse to forgive someone who has sinned against us. The list goes on, often hidden, often in our heart or in our mind. Well, the reason Luke moves immediately from the institution of the Lord's Supper, if you thought that's a strange transition between the institution of the Lord's Supper to disciples bickering among themselves. Well, I think the reason Luke moves immediately from the institution of the Lord's Supper to Jesus teaching about humble service, which we read about just now, is that he wants us to see that Jesus' death in our place is meant to form a new community. It's supposed to, as we're calling it here, it's supposed to create a new family. That's what it does. Communion, in mysterious ways, moves us into not only greater relationship with God himself, as we commune with him, but also into greater relationship with one another. This is why we encourage all the believers to, to be here and to, to eat and drink together because it's not just what we do. As we do that, we are going deeper into relationship with God and we're going deeper into relationship with one another. Why? Because we together are confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are together unified in the sense that we have one faith and one Lord. And it helps us to grow deeper together. But not only that, it also helps us as we sit alongside each other, not quite shoulder to shoulder yet, just a few seats apart. It helps us to think about how we, like Christ, can be those who are servants. How can we have a servant heart like Jesus did? And it propels us, you might not think this, but it propels us to love one another in humble ways. And Jesus and, and the Lord does this in, in a very mysterious and amazing way as we meet together week by week, eating and drinking. Long ago, J.C. Ryle, some of you will know that name, uh, an author, written many books. He said this, He that eats the bread and drinks the wine in the right spirit will find himself drawn into closer communion with Christ and will feel to know him more and understand him better. This is still true today, of course. This is the promise for us when we feast at Jesus' table. And so five wonderful reasons why this meal is the greatest meal. We could give, I could give you 25. But these are five. It's rooted in redemption. It's about forgiveness, deliverance, and amazing grace. Jesus planned it. Not only did he plan it, but he hosts it as well, and he welcomes us to feast with him. It anticipates the future. This is just the beginning of the greatest theme. And it will be fulfilled in heaven one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We look forward to that day. And it speaks of substitution. Jesus took our place, bearing the full wrath of God upon himself that we may go free. And finally, it forms a family. Not only does it grow, help us to grow deeper into relationship with God, but also 
propels us into deeper community with one another and to deeper family with one another. What a wonderful privilege we have tonight. Those who love Jesus and know him as a personal savior to take part in the greatest meal that there ever was and there ever will be. Let's pray, then we're going to sing. And then I'll instruct you after that what we're going to do next. Father, thank you for this meal. Thank you for the institution of the Lord's Supper. Thank you that it is rooted in redemption. Thank you that it's all about Jesus. Thank you that Jesus planned it himself. Thank you that it anticipates the future and it speaks of the wonderful substitution of Jesus in our place. And yet thank you that it also forms and continually forms deeper relationships with God and deeper relationships with each other. And so Lord, may we never lose the wonder of this great meal. And may we see it as the meal above all meals. And may we put Christ always at the center, remembering that it is he that has made this possible. And so Lord, help us now as we respond in song, as we pray with one another, and then as we eat together. Lord, may this be a blessed time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.